Thank you, Ben, and uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name, thank you. My name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. And uh, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been coming to this community for many years, you are welcome. And we are finishing up a uh, a series of talks we've been doing about people who have come to faith in Jesus very early on in the history of the church, just a few years after the death of Jesus. Different ethnicities, different educational backgrounds, some are wealthy, some weren't wealthy, men and women, literally all kinds of folks are getting saved and brought into this this new faith. And these stories are recorded in the book of Acts uh, that Ben was just reading from a moment ago in what we call the New Testament, the part of the Bible that was written after the death of Jesus. Uh, and normally on a Sunday or quite often we will go through verse by verse particular passage, but in this series we, we've been more thinking about the, the story, the narrative of each one of these people who've been saved. And this week we're, we're thinking about, uh, we might call them a minor official in this Roman colony called Philippi, and he finds himself in a crisis situation, something totally unexpected, unexpected unanticipated, the consequences of which are beyond his ability to, to cope with. His life is literally in the balance. He's moments from what appears to be, to be a suicide, unable to fa- face the future. And yet on the very brink of that, he hears the good news about Jesus. And those words of life, instantly applied into his life, seem to save him in more than more than one way. And so today we're going to look at this story under three headings. Uh, and I should probably explain them as we as we go through. Um, there should be a clicker somewhere. There we go. I've got a clicker here. Um, uh, first of all, crisis. What crisis? We're going to think about what the, the jailer was facing. What we all face in our lives at some point. The crises that come along in our lives. Uh, then we're going to look at an art, something called Remain Thankful. That's really where I want to think about how Paul and Silas are responding to their crisis. It does seem when you read through the book of Acts like Paul just lurches from one crisis to another crisis. The guy's never out of a, a crisis, really. And then finally, we're going to join the jailer as he asks, what must I do to be saved? Uh, where we're going to consider how the jailer moves from what is a normal day in the jailhouse to an out-of-the-blue crisis to being saved for all eternity. And uh, you'll see those in your sermon in in the back of your worship program. You can take some notes there. And really, I hope that the the idea we take away from this is that when things are in the balance, that that is the time to trust in Jesus. When things are in the balance, that's the time to Trust Jesus. So let's start with a crisis. What crisis? Uh, so we're back in Philippi. That's where we were last week, if you were here, uh, where Lydia was converted. It's a Roman colony on the east side of Greece. And there are some early followers of Jesus called Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and maybe some others. And they've recently started a, a, a small church in this town. Uh, and last week we saw a, a businesswoman called Lydia come to faith there. And in this section, we can see, as, as Ben was reading, that Paul and Silas have been really wrongfully arrested. They've been beaten. 
and they've been handed over to the jailer. Notice that the slave girl, the, the owners of the slave girls had said, although they were upset about their economic loss, they were, they were bothered about the fact they'd lost money from this slave girl who was able to, to make uh, predictions. Uh, they don't accuse Paul and Silas of that when they take them in front of the magistrates. What they accuse them of is something totally different, of, of advocating customs against the law of the Roman Empire. Uh, Christianity was seen as a cult at this time, and there were very strict rules about if you wanted to follow a cult, you, you, you could follow, but only, only if you were doing things that didn't sort of offend Roman laws, and that's what they accuse, accuse Paul and Silas of. And actually appeal to their, to the racism of the magistrates. Actually, if you notice, it says uh, these men are Jews, and they're offending the things that us Romans can't do. Yeah, they're Jews, we're Romans, no, 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 no. and appealing to their, to their uh, inherent racism. And so, for Paul and Silas, their crisis is that they've been unfairly tried, they've been stripped, they've been beaten, and they've been locked up in the most secure cell in the jail. And by the way, for good measure, they've had their feet put in in the stocks. Uh, Here's a picture of some stocks, just if you don't know what stocks are. Uh, As far as I know, that is not an early photo of Paul and Silas on the grounds that, you know, cameras haven't actually been invented for another 1,900 years. Uh, but that gives you an idea of what the stocks are. Fairly nasty, fairly restrictive. I mean, if you're in that, that's, that's not going to be a, a happy time for you, is it? Um, certainly quite hard to get out of. I think you would agree. And and so this is a crisis, isn't it? For Paul and Silas, I think so. I, if I was, I mean, forget all the other stuff. Even if I was just locked up in jail, I would feel that was a crisis. And never mind being having to go through a racially motivated trial or being stripped and beaten. and I'm just going to be scared at that point. I mean, yeah, that's a crisis. And we say, oh, well, you know, we don't really see that sort of thing in Rotherham, do we? You know, remember, this people who've joined us, who have been asylum seekers, who've joined us over the last five years, at one time or another, who've experienced exactly that. Yeah, this is not... A million miles away, okay, um, and all that is before the earthquake happens. Because remember, they also go through the earthquake. So let's get into some important theological details. Uh, hands up, who's experienced an earthquake? A few people have experienced an earthquake. I'm surprised that more of you haven't. I mean, you know, Rotherham is a well-known uh, earthquake uh, cluster center. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, some real rip-roarers around here. Uh, I did look up the earthquake statistics for Rotherham, and you will probably remember that exactly a year ago, there was an earthquake that affected Rotherham. It was uh, a huge scale, uh, a huge Category 4 on the Richter scale. It was reported by 33 people, uh, and it was, it was no, to be honest with you, it was over by Withensea, over on the East Coast, and nobody in Rotherham would have noticed it, probably at all, I suspect. Uh, people did feel it, but that was mostly over in Withensea. The British Geological Survey said that they, they received reports, including, so these are quotes from different people, 
Uh, the whole house shook for a couple of seconds. Uh, I heard a rumble and some simultaneous trembling. Uh, the bed started to shake. So it must have been, presumably it was night, we don't know. Uh, I thought a lorry was crashing outside. Uh, a Category 4 earthquake, 33 miles away, is enough to maybe shake dust off something in your house. Maybe. Um, but if you but if you have been in an earthquake, so I've been in a couple that were quite a bit bigger than that, um, they are very disconcerting. You you think that something's going on with your head because suddenly you're not moving, but the things around you are, uh, and and you're feeling more than a little shocked because there's no warning. It's just suddenly, uh, have I got a have I got a am I dizzy? Is something going on? Um, and certainly the earthquake that we're reading about here was, was quite a lot bigger. We know that it's enough to, to shake the jail to its foundations, it says. Uh, we don't know how big the jail actually was. We do know that there are other prisoners in there other than, than Paul and Silas. And, and the jailer is responsible for all these prisoners. And, and no more than that, he's been specifically charged, notice there, he's been specifically instructed to keep Paul and Silas secure. And all the doors and all the stocks and all the fetters and all the other things they're bound with just open. How are you going to feel if you're the jailer in charge of this jail? He believes, actually, all these prisons are just headed straight out. Uh, okay. If you're in the UK, say you're in charge of Rotherham Police Station, and all the you're the officer in charge, and all the prisoners who you're in charge of suddenly escape straight away, one time. Uh, and there were a couple of high-profile prisoners who escaped. You can at least offer to resign, maybe something like that. Um, the uh, don't worry about that. Uh, if there'd been an earthquake that triggered it then maybe, yeah, you're going to blame that and maybe, you know, okay, it was an act of God. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, instead of incompetency on your part. So maybe you'd, you'd, you'd argue that. This is not Rotherham in the 21st century. This is a colony of the, let's face it, fairly brutal Roman Empire. The jailer is not, he knows that his boss is not expecting his resignation on his desk on Monday, right? He knows that if he's looking he might experience the same kind of beating that Paul and Silas have experienced and then being locked up in jail. Well, at least locked up in jail once they've repaired it because there wouldn't be any point locking him up at the minute because he'd just be able to get out. Um, more likely, and there was a high chance, he would just be executed on the spot for letting these guys get out. Uh, they wouldn't care about the earthquake. Earthquakes are quite common in that part of the world and in the, in the, on the fringes of the Aegean Sea. And he would expect it to have been on the ball in that circumstance. So this guy knows next day when the boss wakes up that very likely he's going to get executed. Oh, and just to add more drama, it looks from the passage like he and his family actually live either right next to the jail or actually in the jail. So his family are going to be out on the streets anyway because they're going to be out of a job. He cannot see, you know, the prisoners, he thinks the prisoners have gone. He cannot see any solution to this. He, he is 
overwhelmed. He is without hope. That is why he draws his sword. That is why he's getting ready to commit suicide, because he thinks, I might as well do it now. So whether it's Paul, or whether it's Silas, whether it's the jailer, whether it's John Newton, Ian was talking about a minute ago. All these guys are getting overtaken by unexpected events. Suffering and death are real possibilities. The future is uncertain and anxiety is very, very high for them. Is that something you've experienced? I think for many of you it probably is. If it isn't, it's something you certainly will be experiencing in your future. Um, Different crises, that's different crises for different people. It looks like different things. Storms, earthquakes, hurricanes. It doesn't have to be natural events. It can be things that are happening in our relationships, whatever it is. How did you, if you've been through those, how did you feel? How did you react? For some of you, that may even be too painful to even recall what that crisis was. I'm sorry if that is the case. Certainly things like this can leave us emotionally and spiritually scarred, even physically scarred. Uh, as, a, as a society, as a culture, we're only starting to understand what post-traumatic stress actually is. But I hope that, that as, we, as we go through this and as we, as we look at the next couple of sessions, uh, that we will get a sense that there are responses in this in a crisis. There are good responses we can make. And I trust that will help us think about how we respond, how we can respond in crises going forward. So uh, let's look at remain thankful. Um, I did... Can I give that... Steve, you want to just give that a kick for me? Um, the, I did base this uh, sort of section in that title, Remain thankful on a photo like this okay so i somewhere have a photo like this of somebody's house and on the front there's a big piece of plywood on which somebody's written remain thankful okay this is from from uh uh hurricane ivan which uh, myself and denise uh had some experience of in the cayman islands that's a category five hurricane and lots of people's houses were destroyed. And one of the houses that was destroyed had this big sign on front, on the front saying, remain thankful. Could I find it when I looked for it over the last 12 hours? No. So apologize. So just imagine it's there on the front. It looked basically like that. And, and that attitude captured for me a, a sense of what Paul and Silas were doing, what they were modeling. Let's be clear, nobody who is sane would would want to be beaten and then imprisoned deep inside the jail of a repressive regime. Right? Nobody wants that in any way. Look back there in verse 25. What's happening? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, we're going to assume these probably weren't super joyful hymns like Shine Jesus Shine or something like that. And the prayers were not probably filled with lots of happiness overflowing in that way. I'm sure that these songs and prayers had a large element of crying out to God for comfort, for aid, for, for release. Yes, even, even perhaps justice, given the injustice they were suffering. But also, when I just, if I'm putting my natural cynicism aside, yes, I, I think 
that these songs and prayers also had in them thankfulness. Thankfulness to God. And yes, even some joy. Not skipping through fields of daisies joy, but a soul deep gospel-founded joy. And that is because they were taking an eternal view of their situation, not a moment-by-moment view of their situation. They might have been thinking something like, of something like the words Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They might have been thinking about that, the things that Jesus has said to say, no, there is more going on here than the crisis you are in. There is more, there is an eternal perspective to this. Paul himself understood this because we see him writing about it time after time in the, in the, New, in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians, he wrote this, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, which he could have been thinking about given the, given the trial. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. How many people are included in the phrase everyone else? Everyone. Uh, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So yeah, it's not masochistic, but but this instruction, this command in the Bible to say, no, think about the big picture. Rejoice even at that point. Paul also wrote, uh, as I was saying last week, there's a letter in the Bible called uh, the Letter to the Philippians. It's writing to the church which the jailer would have joined when he was saved. So Paul's writing to this church about 10 years after this event. This is what he wrote. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in Every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. In Romans, he writes this. In Romans, he draws the link between suffering and hope. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? That's mad, isn't it? Why? No. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. So when they're considering their crisis, they were not dismayed, although they were afflicted. They were with hope whilst they were suffering physically. They were confidently and quietly rejoicing, even though they might have had anxieties about the morning. They were conscious that they were ambassadors for Jesus to the people around them. Notice there it says that their fellow prisoners were listening. They might have been tempted to feel victims. I don't know, but they do not seem to be behaving in this way at all. 
But secondly, also notice how this, this posture, this thankfulness, this remaining thankful, remaining thankful uh, allows them to respond to the crises of others around them, what other people are going through in this earthquake. If I'd been in this situation, I don't know about you, if I'd been in this situation, all, all the chains fell off, the doors open, I'm hitting the exit. I mean, I am gone. You would not see me for dust. Okay, I would think, yeah, God's answered my prayers. And I'm heading out the door. I notice this guy's pulled his sword. I'm thinking, well, who cares about him? He was locking me up. I've gone. Not Paul and Silas. Not them at all. They have a genuine concern. A genuine concern for the man who was responsible for keeping them locked up. They're conscious he's about to kill himself. It's not quite clear how. I mean, we know it's dark. Maybe he stood very close to them. Maybe it is some kind of insight from Paul or, or some, some prophecy. Even, But he shouts out, verse 28, don't harm yourself. We're all here. That includes all the other prisoners. We don't quite know. Were they restrained somehow? Was it, was it so quick they didn't have an opportunity to leave? We don't quite know. It's not super important to the story. But Paul reassures the jailer. The situation is secure. You're okay. Put the sword down. And then takes that opportunity to tell the jailer about Jesus. Jesus who rescues us from hell itself. Not just from earthquakes and escaping prisons. Paul and Silas are, are aware, more aware than I would be, of the potential to tell other people the good news about Jesus in the middle of a crisis. Even when they are imprisoned. Paul writes about this again in the letter to the Philippians. How ironically he's writing this. And probably the, one of the people who, who receives it in Philippi is the guy who'd locked him up. Yeah? He says this in Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Because when Paul's writing the letter he's locked up in Rome. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Even though he's locked up. He's saying, being locked up, it's really good because it works for the Lord. So in Paul and Silas, we see a picture of how Christians might respond in a crisis. It's not masochism, it's not being weird, it is remaining thankful, hopeful, standing firm. Deep, joyful confidence, not because we're strong, because we're not, because our faith in Jesus is strong, and he's strong. And that faith and that hope in Jesus will allow us to reach out to the people around us, perhaps in the same crisis, perhaps in a different crisis. And that can be extraordinarily powerful to those people. And it seems it was for the jailer. And Christians can do this because of the resources we have for our faith in Jesus. And so, and that's what happened. They reach out to the jailer, and this has an enormous impact. The, the earthquake's going on. He's worried about the prisoners escaping, and he asks this this question. 
that we're going to think about now. What must I do to be saved? Let's look at how the, what happens with the, the jailer when he asks that. Um, as we said, we, he, he's anticipating beating and possibly death. His family are likely to be thrown out. And this man then who, who, in verse 29, this man who has been in charge of the prison, who's been organizing everything, he's been in control, right? He's the man, suddenly is now throwing himself at the feet of his former prisoners and asking for a way out, for a solution, for some kind of hope. And now perhaps the jailer thought that the, they were in control of the situation somehow, mysteriously. At the time, as I said, earthquakes were very common uh, in the Aegean Sea. They still are. Uh, and at the time, they were seen as being the, the disapproval of the pagan gods. You know, the gods are angry, so there's been an earthquake. So the jailer has perhaps put two and two together and, and seen the Paul and Silas singing and praying, and then there's an earthquake, and they think, oh, okay, um, they must have something to do with this. And so, so perhaps that's why he asks them that question. Perhaps it's just very practically, how do I get out of this thing with the prisoners? You, you've, you seem to have restrained them. Perhaps that was the scenario. Uh, from the language, we're not totally clear what he's asking for. But whatever it is, whatever that felt need is, uh, Paul knows exactly what he needs to tell him. He's going to tell him very briefly uh, just this straightforward gospel message. The good news. He replied, the, uh, verse, th- verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. With the echoes of the earthquake maybe still rumbling, the doors to freedom are all open. Paul has paused, stopped to tell the jailer the answer to his question. The answer to his question, how he can be saved. I'm scared of heights, right? I, I, I mean, I would be uncomfortable standing on the roof of this building. But Denise wants to do this thing where we're in, the, we're in some skyscraper. I think it's in Chicago. And I think it's like about 1,000 stories up or something. There's a glass floor that overhangs the drop all the way down. And Denise is happily standing on it looking down. I'm like, I'm standing at the other side of the room. I'm not even looking at Denise looking down because even the, I mean, I'm not looking, you know, even the idea of her looking down scares me and I'm standing on the other side of the room, right? And to me, there's something about being on the brink, on the edge, that idea of, going over the edge. The jailer is right on the edge. He is right on the edge of whatever he thinks happens when you die. We don't know what that is, but whatever it is, it's clear he doesn't want to step over that edge. Um, And these words, these words that Paul and Silas speak to him are the words that impact him and save him. Sometimes we call conversion being saved. I think that's appropriate, particularly in a crisis, in a situation like this, where you are in darkest despair. There is no hope. You Perhaps you're facing death. You might be facing something else. And then suddenly you're rescued. Suddenly you're saved. You receive a break. A hand reaches out to you and grabs you and pulls you back. In the midst of the crisis, with only a dark door in front of you, suddenly a door opens. There's light behind it. Someone grabs you and pulls you through it. 
I was watching a, a clip on YouTube about the King's Cross disaster. You may not know that. This was about uh, 40 years ago now, perhaps, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, at King's Cross tube station in London, there was a fire in the ticket hall and quite a number of people died. It was a horrible effect. The, the fire was very intense, very quick. And in this disaster, there was one guy who'd been very badly burnt and he, he'd inhaled a lot of smoke. Somehow he's managing to keep going. I don't know how. And he's crawling out of the, of the uh, ticket hall that's still on fire. And he's crawling up the steps of the tube station. It's all totally dark around him. The smoke, he can't see anything. He's figured out where the stairs are. He's, he's nearly at the end of, of what he's capable of his life. And suddenly, he says, a hand grabs him. A hand reaches out and grabs him and pulls him out of that darkness and that smoke and that despair. His despair of death. He thought he was dying. Into the light. Into life. That was a London firefighter. And he, he saved that guy's life. Uh, that's how it can feel sometimes when somebody's saved in a crisis. That Just that instant, I've been saved. And just the joy that comes with it. God has created this, this crisis, this earthquake, this other stuff for the jailer. He's put him into this precious situation. Perhaps he was too cynical to, to, to accept Jesus another way. We, we don't know. Um, God has certainly arranged this crisis for Paul and Silas. So they would be there for the jailer in his crisis. To speak that good news. Bang, instantly, in that way he's saved. Some come to faith over a longer period of time with much agonizing and searching, and that's fine, and that's great. There's nothing the matter with that at all. But it's still the same, same kind of process in that God's still arranging circumstances. We talked about the providence of God last week. People still hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. They receive the faith as a free gift from God. And they turn their life towards Jesus. In this case, that happens in a few moments. But not only that, he's not been saved only to return to the state that he's in. He's not only been saved to, to be what it was like a few moments before. No, he's been brought into a far better state before God. For he's now received all the blessings and the benefits of faith in Christ. He's been adopted as a child of God. He's received the Holy Spirit. He's got access to God in prayer. He's now received spiritual gifts. He's now got brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, some of those brothers are the people who were just locked up moments before. And he now has this community that he's suddenly dramatically a part of that he wasn't before called the church. But not only, is his, not only then is his conversion dramatic, but his response is dramatic. Straight away, he's thinking of others. Notice that, that straight away, he now wants his family to hear the good news that he's just heard. And so his household, his family, hear this very gospel, the good news. Presumably that was a bit of a longer explanation of it than one sentence. Uh, someone who's become a Christian wants other people to become Christians. That just they've re We've received such a fantastic gift. Why wouldn't we want other people to experience the same thing? 
his family hears about this this Jesus who's been a creator for the world, this who had lived this perfect life, how he died for the jailer, how he died for Paul and Silas, how he died for us to reconcile us to God. Jesus died to reconcile us to his Father, despite all that we've done, despite all of our sin, despite all our desire to be our own, our own puny mini-gods. Jesus died to reconcile us to him. And in rising from the dead, provided the hope that he follows to that he offers to his followers, the hope that Paul and Silas are resting in when they're singing and praying in the jail. No wonder he's filled with joy. No wonder he, no wonder he is because of, he says because he has come to believe in God. No wonder he's filled with joy. He's even filled with more joy because his family are. So the jailer binds up the wounds of Paul and Silas. The wounds they'd suffered from, yes, from the beatings, but also from being locked up in his stocks. They get baptized, even though it's the middle of the night. He opens his home to these prisoners. Can you imagine, can you imagine being in Wormwood Scrubs? And and the and one of the jailers says, oh, come on, we'll let you out. And not only that, come round to my house. Come and have dinner round at my house. Can you imagine that? It's just, just, just incredible. But God invites us round to his house to take part in, in to eat and drink with him in communion. What a joy. What a, what a joy for his family. What a joy for Paul and Silas. They, they've just seen direct results of the prayers and the, and the singing that's been going on. How fantastic for Lydia. We read about Lydia uh, last week. She's in this new church and this new family coming to church. Wow, that's, that's brilliant, isn't it? And he's rejoicing in heaven. Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. One element of, of someone who's converted in a crisis or perhaps out of a crisis is the drama. Is, 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 it's dramatic and you can see the impact straight away. That's certainly true here. But in that kind of situation, there is a sense in which your life is in the balance. Like me, standing on the edge, being worried about which way I'm going to go. Now you watch the film Sliding Doors? I don't know if you've seen that, that film, Sliding Doors. In a moment, there are two futures set, stretch out in front of Gwyneth Paltrow. In a crisis, two futures stretch out in front of us. In one, the person ignores the word of God and continues as they were, a road that leads to destruction and permanent separation from God. In the other, they hear the word of God, God opens their heart to it, they receive faith, they turn away from their, what the song we sometimes ring, their hell-bound race towards their Saviour, with whom they will live forever. That how it, that's how it seems in a crisis. As we see our passage in, a, in, in the Bible, some of that grabs our attention. Friends, it doesn't need a crisis. <laughs> Whenever someone hears the word of God, when you think about it, they're going to respond in one or two ways. They're going to trust in Jesus or they're going to shake their fist at him and go the other way. 
Those are the same alternatives faced by the jailer. Is he going to believe what Paul and Silas have just told him? Or is he going to go, no, that's rubbish. I'm just going to kill myself. Dear friends, do not wait for a crisis in your life. When you hear the good news about Jesus, your life is in the balance. Trust in Jesus and live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that it is challenging to us. We thank you that it, it informs our life. We can relate to this because crises happen in our in our lives. Lord, we pray that when we when they do, that we would remember Paul and Silas in prison. That we would remember how they respond. How they are trusting in the hope that they have in you. Oh Father, we pray if we're not a Christian here today. that we would hear the very words of the gospel, that Jesus has come to pay for our sins, died for our sins, and that we would respond, that we would respond like the jailer in faith and trust and not just shake our fists and walk away. Father, whatever crises we face in our lives as we go forward please be with us in those crises help us to see them as you see them and not with our own limited sight and understanding we pray that you would do this in your son's name amen